This edition of the DBR podcast is brought to you by the guys at Bird Campbell Law Firm, your Duke-centric law firm, lawyers by vocation, but Blue Devils by the grace of God. Founded by roommates Jamie Campbell and Tucker Bird, they say, go Duke or go home. Duke fans, welcome to a very special edition of the DBR podcast. This is episode number 102, 102, but it is episode number one when it comes to talking about incredible recruiting because wow, 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 what Duke did yesterday shocked the world of college basketball. We're going to get to that in half a second, but first let me bring in my two partners in crime. First of all, Sam Klein, you out in Denver, Sam? Yes, I am. It is a snowy morning in Denver, um, but I'm I'm doing okay here. Duke's got by far the best recruiting class in the country for 2018. Sorry, you said in the country, you mean of all time. It's the best recruiting class of all time. But wait, before we get to that, Donald Wine. Donald, I think you are not in your usual locale, are you? I am not. I am in sunny San Diego, California. I am out here because the uh, United States women's national team is playing. The year has begun. Uh, and I'm on cloud nine, but that's as not as high as our newest recruit can jump. <laughs> you know, it's funny. When you first said to me you're in SD, I was like, why is he in South Dakota? Um, but San Diego, <laughs> San Diego, a little nicer than South Dakota. No offense to any South Dakota fans out there, folks who like being in South Dakota. But San Diego, a little nicer this time of year than South Dakota. So as Donald and Sam and I have all indicated, uh, the, the thing we're going to lead this podcast with is uh, the incredible news that came down yesterday evening, last night at 8.15 p.m., when uh, Zion Williamson, a uh, 6'7", 260-pound power forward, uh, considered either the number one, number two, number three, somewhere in there, one of the top, top, top recruits in the class of 2018, um, announced his uh, where he's going to go to school. All the speculation was it was probably going to be Clemson. He's from South Carolina. There was some talk maybe he would stay in state with South Carolina, most likely Clemson. Kentucky worked really, really hard for this guy. And Carolina fans out there, UNC fans, were holding out hope. They really thought that he could be a – Cameron's excited about this. They really thought Zion Williamson could be a key part for the, um, for the Tar Heels next year. And – Zion made his announcement, and he will be playing in the Dean Dome next year for one game when the Blue Devils come visiting. He announced for the Duke Blue Devils. Cameron, really? Cameron is so excited about recruiting. Um, uh, he, he, he is now the third of the top three, number one, number two, number three, who have all announced for Duke and will all be playing for Mike Krzyzewski this year. Oh, and... Uh, Trey William, Trey Jones, sorry, Tyus Jones' younger brother is the number eight recruit in the class. So Duke has four of the top eight. Zion Williamson is a, a freak. He's a monster. Um, what he does to the rim should not be allowed. Donald, I know you have watched a ton of tape of this guy. This is, he is the highest profile recruit in the class, even though he's not number one. Everyone says RJ Barrett's number one, but he is considered number, he's number one on YouTube because what he does to the rim it's just terrifying. Donald, tell me a little bit about Zion Williamson and what you've seen from this kid. Well, you said a lot of the key words there. He is a monster. And the fact that he can jump out of any gym on planet Earth and even the Monstars gym on the moon, 
is is indicative of his athleticism. He has incredible athleticism. But here's the thing that really gets me about him. He he is not just a dunker. That's what brought people to him on YouTube. That's where he uh, got a lot of the fame, and he can do that extremely well, better than you know most people in in basketball today. He can dunk the ball, but his motor is incredible. Think about how how his frame is. He's six seven. 270 pounds. That is a LeBron James type of frame for a, for a high school kid. And everyone's like, well, you know, this guy, he doesn't really run the ball that much. He doesn't really dribble. He can do that. He can motor past anybody. He's very fast. He's very quick. He's agile. He can move in tight spaces with the ball. He has great handles with the ball. And he's able to penetrate. The one thing about him that maybe will improve under Coach K's leadership is his shot. His actual shot, he he can, but he can put anything in the rim inside of 12 feet. And the problem with him is, when you try to when he squares up from 12 feet, a, a shot that he can knock down, and you go and cover that, he's gonna jump right past you, and then he's gonna jump over everyone on the other team and dunk the ball. So this guy is the real deal when it comes to highlight reels and when it comes to like absolute athleticism. But that's not his entire game, and that's why. I am so excited. I mean, literally when they announced it yesterday, I was here in San Diego and I couldn't stop laughing for like two hours because people were just coming up to me and saying, are you guys going to let anybody in college basketball get recruits ever again? The answer is no, we're, we're going to get them all. Uh, we got the top three, we got three of the top eight and next year's class is looking oh so sweet. The, the, the comparison that is made uh, over and over again, people who've watched Zion Williamson play say he is another Charles Barkley that he's that strong, he's that physical, um, he has that kind of knack for rebounding and finishing in the lane. This is a guy with remarkable body control in the air. Uh, when uh, you know, It's one thing to talk about the dunks, and, and I'm glad you pointed out he's not just a dunker. Uh, he is fabulous in the lane, on the break, moving toward the basket because he gets in the air and he can absorb contact, 270 pounds. Of course he can absorb contact um, and finish really, really uh, adeptly. He has great touch in the lane. He's a, he's a very underrated passer. Everything I've read about him says that he's a really, really good passing big man. Um, and ESPN said, you know, everyone's talking about Charles Barkley. He's the next Charles Barkley. ESPN said he's Charles Barkley, but with the athleticism of Vince Carter. I'm like, oh my God. You know, how do you even say that kind of thing? I think the really and interesting talk about his defense, his defense, like I mean, because of that athleticism, he, you know, some of his YouTube videos are not necessarily his dunks, but his rebounds and his block shots, because sometimes he sends, he sends balls to another planet. Uh, if you, if you think about the sandlot, you send balls to the beast. He can do that with his hands. He, he's, he's great at anticipating. Um, he has uh, that leaping ability. It takes him out of the gym. So he's a, a really good shot blocker. I think Duke will play, uh, it, you know, it's sort of weird. There are a lot of folks who said uh, Duke's top three, the three recruits we have who are one, two, and three in the class are all technically small forwards. Zion Williamson, really more of a power forward, but a lot of people say he wants to play like a small forward. RJ Barrett is a small forward and Cameron Reddish is a small forward. Uh, and people are like, how are you going to play three small forwards at the same time? And I think what we are looking at next year for Duke is positionless basketball in a real true sense of it. Um, you know, I'm not sure it's possible Gary Trent will return to school. He would be the same kind of size as those guys. Uh, and they're all 
sort of big and strong and athletic enough that they can guard guys in the post if necessary, and they can guard guys on the perimeter if necessary. Uh, and, and I think, you know, it sets up a really interesting situation for Duke next year where, especially maybe if you pair pair those guys with Javin Delorier, who's another big guy who's very agile and mobile and can move from the inside to the outside and outside to the inside, you could truly have a team where I don't know who's the point guard, who's the center. They can all do all of it. Um, and it'd be really interesting to watch. Uh, it, you know, it's the evolution of basketball and Coach K is taking us there. Um, Sam, I want to come to you. And before I come to you, I want to play a little bit of music. Uh, and I think you know what's coming. So the Blue Devils have become the Yankees, the Patriots. We are the evil empire. Sam, do you like this? Is this good? Is this what you want for Duke? Or are you a little sad that we're like suddenly, we're, we must win the national title next year. Let's just be clear about it. If we don't, people will say it's a disappointment. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that last statement. And I, I think I agree with everything you said. It, it's gotten to the point where like a few years ago, Kentucky was this, where they were getting every top recruit. And that goes back to, you know, 2010 with John Wall. Um, although although they were not they were not getting them the way Duke is. Like they were they getting were not, a right. lot so of them and everyone Duke thought had, they were getting but yeah, what what Duke has done the past 2 years especially is unlike anything Kentucky has done. Yeah, and and if you and if you take that back to the to the 2014 high school class that was highlighted by Jolly Okafor, Duke's been doing this regularly more often than not the last 5-6 years. So, I I enjoy it. I like watching. I, I, I and I'm not going to offer this opinion just for the sake of of stating the other side. When Zion Williamson announced yesterday, I I wasn't actually watching the the announcement. It was kind of Saturday evening, but I like opened Twitter and saw the news, and then I got a couple texts from friends. And one of my buddies, who is a big college basketball fan, he roots for Michigan State, and he was like, he I was texting him back and forth, and he was like, "You don't sound that excited about getting perhaps the best player in the class," and I was like. Seems like Duke always gets the best player in the class. It's not that I'm tired of of the success, but in a way, I kind of am. Um, it's amazing that that Duke gets this caliber of player every year. Like Jason, like you said, that this has not been done before. Kentucky, even a few years ago, wasn't really doing it at this pace, getting this many top five, top ten guys. Um, but this is the fourth season that we've done this podcast. Um, the first year we did it, of course, was was Grayson Allen's freshman year when when Duke won the national championship. And basically every year we've had to reset a lot of what we say about the team because the there's a lot of turnover, not necessarily on the bench because I, I think you know guys transfer out or whatever, but a lot of a lot of the bench guys stay. But but the starters, it seems like every year they're all gone to the NBA, and it's going to be the same thing next year. Um, Duke's going to lose three or four of the of these star freshmen this year. I assume that they're all four going to go. Not going to be surprised, I guess. I suppose if one stays, but we're going to have to, you know, lose all these guys, get a whole new set of them next year. And I think that it, it, it I don't know, it, it sort of, it sort of ruins the continuity of the program a little bit. I like that Duke has so many alumni in the NBA, but I was looking at it this morning. They've got about 20 guys playing, 20, 21 guys playing in the NBA this season. Nine of them were, one and dones of the recent era, like going back to Kyrie Irving. So I'm not even counting like Luol Deng as one of those guys. Nine of the 20 
are guys who just played one season at Duke. And um, and like I said, next season, there will be three or four more of those. And, and Grayson Allen will be the only new Duke NBA player next year who wasn't a one-and-done player. So the, the percentage is going to get even more lopsided. So in that regard, it's a little bit of a bummer. I will say it is a testament to the coaching staff that they are able not only to recruit all these guys, because I think individually any of them should be excited about playing at any of the Blue Blood programs, be it Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, North Carolina, whoever, but that they can manage all the inevitable egos that come with being one of those players is really awesome. Um, All of not just Zion Williamson, RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish, Trey Jones, all these guys are the alpha dogs on their high school teams this year, probably on their AAU teams. I don't know if any of them um, play AAU together, but they're all going to take much smaller roles next year on campus because they're going to have to, at certain points, defer to the other guys. And we're seeing that this year. We're seeing Wendell Carter, who was, I, I think he was like the top center in his class, is getting totally overshadowed by Marvin Bagley. Not, you know, every minute of every game, but, but, National announcers are talking Marvin Bagley, Marvin Bagley, Marvin Bagley. Wendell Carter gets mentioned, you know, a fair amount. And the most common thing people say about him is, oh, well, it's such a shame that Marvin Bagley's playing next to him. And it doesn't seem like it bothers Wendell Carter at all. It doesn't seem to bother Trevon Duval that he's he's like a star point guard on a top five team who gets ragged on all the time for like not being good enough. And and that's going to that'll happen to one of at least one of Barrett Williamson or Reddish next year. And it's probably not fair because if they were playing anywhere else, they would be the undisputed stars of their team. And at Duke, they're just going to be part of the package. And like you said, Jason, they kind of all play the same position. They, it's a position that you can have multiple of on the floor because they're all kind of bigger swing men. They can hopefully guard on the perimeter. They can all you know, dunk and dribble and, and, and defend and all these things. Um, but one of them is going to end up probably being the best. I don't know which of them it is. I don't think anyone knows which of them is definitely going to be the best next year. But um, one of them is probably going to take a back seat. And if the coaching staff manages to keep all those egos in check, then it works. I just kind of wish that I got more excited about these recruiting successes than I have maybe the last couple of years because it has become so routine. And I don't know. It takes a little bit of the, the excitement out of it. I will say, though, that, Jason, your point about positionless basketball is the most important thing here, that these guys are all going to be like I said, playing the same position, a position that I think Coach K has long been lauded for his development of going all the way back to, you know, Grant Hill. Luol Deng was one of these guys, Shane Battier, Mike Dunleavy, Kyle Singler. Duke is, Duke's uh, history, maybe even back to Danny Ferry. I don't even really remember Danny Ferry, but I know that he was kind of one of these, these dynamic power forwards. Duke's has had a lot of success with these types of players. And I imagine that all three of these guys got similar pitches, which is, Look at all the success we've had. We can mix and match these players together. And ultimately, you're going to be successful if, if you buy into this system. And I think that the fact that they've all signed on, knowing that the other ones are either there or potentially going to be there, tells me that, that they're excited about that too. And that it's not just, I want to go play for, for Coach K. It's like, I want to be a part of, of this team and this program. So let me jump in and address two things that you talked about. The first one is... I really, so the first one is this notion of them playing together. And I really think Zion Williamson's announcement is is a really interesting highlight on this. He was the last of them to commit. Duke already had the top recruiting class in the land with with, uh, Trey Jones, Cam Reddish, uh, and RJ Barrett. There's there's no question about that. We had, you know, number one, number three, number eight. Um, 
by joining that group, Zion Williamson became part of a larger story. He became part of the story that to some extent is going to dominate the entire sport, at least during the off season leading up to next year. There will be cover stories, you know, in SI and ESPN about this class and about its impact on college basketball. Duke will be the preseason number one team. Absolutely for certain, 100%. Duke will be the preseason number one team. Um, and everyone's going to be talking about these guys. If Zion Williamson had picked Clemson, if he'd picked Kentucky, if he'd picked UNC, wherever else he picks, he's part, he, he's a story for that team, but he's not the story for the sport. And by doing this, he became part of the story for the sport. This is the most important thing that happened in college basketball yesterday. And, you know, it seems silly to say this. The moment we crown a national championship in, in April this year, suddenly the entire focus is going to be on these guys coming to Duke. And I think it's really interesting that he chose that responsibility. And wait, before you jump back in, so I want to address another thing you talked about. You talked about the notion of these guys and having to, you know, one of them's not going to be as good as one of the others and having to defer to each other and, you know, not, you know, obviously on any other team, these guys, and I'm including Trey Jones, number eight recruit in the land, uh, you know, best point guard out there. Trey Jones would be the star of whatever team he was joining. These guys would be the star of any other team in the country. But let's look at this year's Duke team, which is obviously a perfect example of what we're talking about here um because it has the same you know same kind of stacked class uh it's not one two and three but but it's darn close wendell carter was number three uh uh, uh, uh or actually number four um uh bagley was number one trevon duvall was around number eight or so uh and gary trent was in the low teens so you know similar in terms of studs but look at this season, and let's talk a little bit about what's happened this season. Yes, Marvin Bagley has been the main story. Marvin Bagley is the guy who's going to be ACC Player of the Year and in the running for National Player of the Year. But just yesterday, Wendell Carter was the best player on the floor, and there have been plenty of games where Wendell Carter was the guy who was leading Duke to victory. Just earlier this week, Duke doesn't beat Miami without Gary Trent going off. Gary Trent is playing great lately, and he has been the focus of what Duke is doing offensively and what Duke's doing on the floor. Two weeks ago, there's no way we're, we're beating Florida State without the end-of-game heroics we got from Trevon Duvall. Duvall was the man, and Duke fed him when he was on fire. We've seen each of these guys play a role. So I, I don't think, for Coach K, it's not, a difficult, it's not a difficult sale at all to Barrett and Reddish and Zion Williamson to say, you're each going to play a huge role, and the media is going to pay attention to you. Donald, go. You know, I think you, you bring up an interesting point where we're talking about how all these pieces kind of fall together. What basis, you know, and, and I'm thinking about last night, I was thinking about this. What happens if Marvin Bagley III does not reclassify and is in this class? My guess <laughs> is he would come to Duke. But, well, here's the thing. Here's, my guess is he would come to Duke, but one of those three in Barrett, Reddish, or Williamson would not have. And I think the reason why I think they all are choosing to come to Duke now is because they see how these heralded four freshmen on this current team are playing together. And I think they can see each other and say, hey, look, 
we all have games, like you all have said, that would qualify to be the star on any team in America. How about we put all that aside and we can be stars, plural, on a Duke team together? And I think they're seeing how, how so far this team has been successful in doing that. And even like you said, they're gonna, I know they're going to understand that, hey, one game, I'm going to get all the credit. One game is going to be the other guy. One game is going to be the third guy. One game is going to be the fourth guy. In in that aspect, they don't care about that, and they're just going to put that aside for the sake of we're going to go to Duke. We're going to be a really successful basketball team. We're going to be really successful in our pro careers, and this is all the start of that. That is incredible fail by the Duke coaching staff, and I think it's great that we're getting these type of players that, on the surface, seems like they're buying into that. And I, and I really appreciate that because next year is going to be that much more fun to watch. How these guys – we always talk about what happens if these stars aligned and, you know, we're able to play together. We're going to see that next year. We're going to see a, a really good group of freshmen playing together. And it's not going to be uh, where people are talking about, you know, you know, what happens if Kevin Knox was playing with Marvin Bagley, who's playing with whatever. They're all going to be in the same team next year. And it's going to be our team, and it's going to be that much better to watch. And I will note, Jason, that I live in Washington, D.C. We have been the evil empire there for a couple of decades, and Sam can attest to that. Yes, confirm. Yeah, no. uh, I, I have talked many times about growing up in Maryland and how Duke has always been the bad guys there. It is, it is 100% accurate to put Duke in the same category as the Yankees for people who are from Maryland. All right, so we're going to wrap up the Zion Williamson stuff uh, and move on to actual basketball being played. But before we do, gentlemen, I just want to read you a quote from Seth Davis, uh, former Dukie. Uh, Seth Davis tweeted this yesterday after the Zion Williamson announcement. He said, I'm guessing that Coach K will put off retirement plans for at least one more year. <laughs> yeah, you think? <laughs> yeah. I think that's fair. A friend of mine asked me, um, about you know how Coach K feels about having all these guys for one year for one season, and and I commented and said, uh, you know, Coach K when he went to coach the Olympic team, said I want to coach the best, and I think that's the whole reason he's bought into this one and done thing so much. He wants to coach the best players. If he only gets them for one year, okay, that's that's life. That's unfortunate, but that's, that's life. But he'd rather coach the best. He'd rather have that long-term relationship that he develops with the absolute best. And, and last thing I want to add on all this is at some point it's going to change. We're hearing more and more and more every day about how the NBA is moving toward changing the system, allowing guys to come directly into the game out of high school and, but saying, if you go to college, you'll stay in college for at least a couple of years. And when that change happens, Coach K and the Duke program will adapt. But until that day, let's just enjoy coaching the best and watching the best every single season. All right, gentlemen, as I said, there was actual basketball to talk about uh, yesterday. Before the Zion Williamson announcement, the Blue Devils played the Pitt Panthers, who are ostensibly part of the ACC. I believe that they're an ACC team, just barely. Uh, in name only, are they an ACC team? Uh, for 38 seconds, 38 seconds, this game was tied at 0-0. And then Duke took a lead that they never even came close to giving up. The final score was the Blue Devils 81 to 54. I sort of feel like if we'd really wanted to 
pick a number higher than 27 points. We could have beaten them by more than 27, but uh, they they were Pitt was literally never competitive in this game. Uh, it was a game, uh, as I mentioned earlier, in which Wendell Carter, to me, seemed to be the best player on the floor. But uh, Donald, I will go to you first. Any impressions from the game against the Pitt Panthers? Probably, you know, among the least competitive games Duke will play in an ACC contest all year. Well, I think you nailed it when you said that Wendell Carter Jr. was the best player on the floor. It certainly looked like that to me um, with 21 points, eight rebounds. You know, Marvin Bagley also came in with 20.7 boards. But, you know, I think it was just a, a, a solid victory. And I think that is all I really want to say about Pitt. Like, it, Pitt's not a good basketball team. We've played them twice in the course of about, what, 10, of 11, 10 or 11 days. And both games were very comfortable, solid victories. Uh, against a team that is in the basement uh, by a long shot in the ACC. So that's really what you want to see. You beat the, you beat the team that you're supposed to beat, uh, and you look pretty decent doing it, and I think that's what our guys did. I'm going to offer a hot take that Marvin Bagley was held below his season average for both points and rebounds, and I think maybe also blocks. Uh, so should we be concerned about Marvin Bagley? That, that's all I got about about this pit game. It, it, I mean, like, <laughs> like you, like you said, there, like both of you said that there, there isn't much to take away. I will say the one thing I really enjoyed um, was that, that pressing defense. And I wonder if that is something that Duke can continue to do against better opponents, or if that is just something they felt like doing against Pittsburgh because they wanted to just end the game early. But I, I, I liked it. I thought it was surprisingly effective. I also enjoyed how, Pittsburgh on almost every possession where, you know, you can get into the pressing defense only if you make the shot. Um, so Duke makes a shot. They, they put up the three-man press and Pitt almost every time, to, the first thing they do to counter it is the, the out-of-bounds pass back to like a different guy who then passes it to the original out-of-bounds passer. And it didn't necessarily work. I mean, they got the ball in bounds almost every time, but they had a bunch of 10-second violations and Man, they looked they looked pretty pretty uh, pretty lost out there against against Duke's press defense. Uh, look, the the Pitt Panthers just aren't good. They're, they they aren't. Um, they have they're they're playing a bunch of freshmen, so it's not like they um, have experience. And their freshmen are not top rated players. They're not you know highly regarded recruits. It, this this is just how it's going to be for Pitt um, this year in the ACC. Uh, I, I got a question for you guys about this game. I thought, to me, one of the more interesting things happening to Duke lately has been the decline of Grayson Allen, um, both in terms of how much he's looking for his own shot and in terms of his success rate on his own shot. Um, and uh, I thought Allen hunted his three-point shot more uh, yesterday than he has lately. I think there was a conscious effort by the team to get Grayson Allen playing a little bit better than he has recently. Uh, he took 10 three-pointers. He, he only had nine three-point attempts in the previous two games. So he's he, he, he was sh he's shooting a lot more, he, and he hit 40% of them. Four out of 10 is pretty good, although, uh, you know, I, 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 still, I still don't feel like I'm seeing the Grayson Allen that we saw a couple years ago or that, you know, uh, that I was seeing a, a little bit earlier this season. What, what did y'all think about Grayson um, and his offensive play yesterday compared to what we've seen lately. Sam, agree, I'll go to you first. I agree that he was trying to to hunt his shot a little more. However, he was also doing that 
it, it was it was like too intentional because he only took one shot inside the three point line. So I, I, I he's not and it was he's not dunk. playing he right he's not playing his full his full offensive game. Um, I, I think that yesterday he was he was specifically trying to find those shots. The team was clearly trying to to give them to him, and we we haven't seen him really try to recapture his his sophomore offensive you know total package but it could come i'm not super worried about him because he seems to be happy and seems to be okay that the team is doing well it would be a different problem if either the team was struggling or the team was struggling sort of in spite of him and like i said on on our last episode i don't think that's really the case i think that he has embraced whatever is is coming to him and like his attitude on that on that dunk um, where he got clipped by the by the pit player and and the and got the intentional foul called or the flagrant foul, he basically got. I mean, he told the refs he got up. He was like, "Yo, that that guy that guy clipped me," and then was pretty good about walking away. And I, I think I would rather see mature best teammate captain Grayson Allen than than anything else. Yeah, you said it. I, I think uh, yesterday. You know, hunting for a shot, I, I think this was, if you want to say there's a game to do it, that was the game to do it. Uh, and I think it was good that the team kind of, you know, emphasized, like, hey, look, just, you know, get back into the flow of things. We're in Cameron. We're playing pit. Let's get back into the flow of things and get some of these uh, game, little, little nitbit, tidbit details back in, in, in the flow of things. So, uh, Grayson did good at that yesterday. I, I agree with you, Sam. Uh, I really love that his maturity has continued to improve um, over the course of the year. And when he's not having a good game, it's not getting him into a funk. Um, and he's really showing it, you know, with his leadership, with we've talked about before, his leadership, you know, him trying to excel in one area um, that is outside of what he normally does uh, so that the other guys can get, uh, can you know, get the points, I think is great. Um, and to get him back on the floor with 16 points yesterday, well, uh, you know, almost all of them were on three pointers. He had, he went to the line a few times, but you know, I, I think that's something that we're going to need from him just to continually improve. And if that leadership is going to be there, then I'm okay with him being off in a couple of different areas. You know, the last little thing I want to add, just very, very quickly, is um, uh, someone needs to take Gary Trent to the Arctic to cool him off, uh, or don't take him. <laughs> uh, it is what he is doing from the outside is ridiculous. He's now 17 for his past 25 from the three-point line. That's right around 75%. You could be shooting from five feet, and that'd be a good percentage. To be hitting that from 20 feet out is crazy. His three-point percentage, which was below 20%, you know, like a month ago, is he's up to 43% of his three-pointers. And uh, and there's real there's a real chance he's going to pass Grayson Allen as the second leading scorer on this team right now. Allen's averaging 15.1 and he's averaging 14.5. Gary Trent has just come on so strong lately, and it's scary to think about if Allen does find his shot again, how good this team will be. But we've talked about this team's scary good a lot this year, so. <laughs> And this edition of the DBR podcast is proudly sponsored by two Duke alums and former roommates from the class of 1978, Jamie Campbell and Tucker Bird. They are diehard, diehard Duke followers, and they are the founders of the Bird Campbell Law Firm, a Duke-centric business law firm 
They have offices in Dallas, Orlando, and on the Gulf Coast of Florida. They have watched and cheered for Duke football and basketball for decades. And they ask you, please reach out to them at birdcampbell.com, B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. If nothing else, you can say, go to hell, Carolina, and they will say it with you. Gentlemen, um, we have two games coming up for the Blue Devils this week that we need to preview. Uh, The first one is against Wake Forest, and we will not bother to preview that game because, well, the reality is we know Wake Forest. We played them earlier. They're one of the teams at the very, very bottom of the ACC, and eh, it just ain't that interesting to talk about them. But the other game coming up next weekend, uh, nationally televised on CBS, one of the most anticipated games of the year being played in Cameron, against UVA, Virginia, the finest defensive basketball team in the nation, one of the uh, the slowest playing team in the nation. They walk the ball up the floor every single time. Duke versus UVA, this is the uh, the Blue Devils, the team that everyone thought would be the number one team in the ACC against the Cavs, who are currently the number one team in the ACC. Sam, I'll go to you first. Talk to me a little about this Virginia team. It's a really interesting team to talk about and think about uh, with with the way they play defense and the way they don't play offense. Yeah, I mean, you guys know Duke fans who listen to this show and, and have watched Duke UVA games the last few years know sort of the blueprint for Tony Bennett's Virginia teams. Like Jason said, they, they play slow. Once again, I think this is like an every year thing. They have the, they play at the slowest tempo in Division One. They're 351st in tempo, um, and and they they like playing that way. Here are the, like to to kind of sum up their defense, here are the opposing scores for ACC teams against UVA so far this season. And all of these games, by the way, are games that UVA won. 58, 52, 49, that's that's, uh, North Carolina. 61, 51, and 48. Okay? The most number of points that UVA has given up in a game to an ACC opponent so far this season is 61. Duke scores the most points of any team in the ACC. So far in ACC play, they're averaging 87 points in conference. Um, so that's a difference of 26 points a game. The The question that I want to pose to you guys um, is, how many points do you think it's going to take Duke to beat this UVA team? Is it just 65? Is it 70? Is it 80? Can any team score 80 against U- UVA? I, I don't know. Um, so I, I will... I will pause for a second on my preview to ask Donald and Jason, each of you, if Duke wins this game, what is the number of points they have to score to do so? 70. 70 from Donald and Jason? Well, first of all, to answer your question, no one can score 80 on UVA because the game is played so slow. You'd have to Too shoot. Slow. You can't You can't. You do can't it. get there, but, but that's fine. I mean, points per possession is the thing that I'm interested in. Um, if we get fewer possessions, fine. I, I don't think we need to get to 70. I think 65 will do it. This UVA team doesn't score a lot. Um, and if the game goes, you know, slow as it, as it probably will, I think 65 first team to 65 wins. And I think Duke will be the first team to 65. So the, so 65, I, I think that's a, that's a good number. I would like to see Duke score in the high sixties if they can. The other thing that I want to see from, from this Duke team against UVA is trying to run out when they get the ball, be it off, um, off of defensive rebounds um, or, or, or steals or whatever. I want them to get out quickly, and I want the bigs to get right to the basket so that they can score easy points. Um, so I, I'm looking for Bagley and Carter 
to 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 do rim runs as well as they have done in their lives because once UVA sets in their in their pack line defense they are really hard to beat they once again they are the they are the number one defense in the country and by uh, you know according to Ken Palm's rate stats and um the other thing you're going to see I hope is when Duke gets defensive rebounds they won't necessarily be looking just to pass to Trevon Duval to bring the ball up the court I think that with perhaps the exception of of Wendell Carter Every, all the starters on this Duke team are capable of of running the break and and bringing the ball up the court. So don't be surprised if we see Grayson Allen, Gary Trent, Marvin Bagley all trying to get rebounds and and trying to push the ball up as quickly as possible. I think that's going to be the key. If Duke gets into a half-court game with UVA, it's going to be really hard for them to win. The other thing I wanted to point out, um, you guys know that I like I like shouting out articles um, from The Athletic, from, from Seth Davis's uh, uh, college basketball site, the Fieldhouse, and there was a great article. Uh, I think it was this morning or yesterday about um, about UVA's key player Isaiah Wilkins, who's a is a senior forward. He does not show up as like the best scorer on the team, but he has the best box plus minus stat uh, in the country. So according to this one efficiency stat that is that is tracked by Basketball Reference, Isaiah Wilkins is the very best player in the country. And and in the article they. Um, uh, they interviewed Wilkins, and he said that two of the players he looks up to most to get an idea of of how he likes to play are Dennis Rodman and Draymond Green. So um, UVA is all about the 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 hard defense and and the strong rebounding, and that is what Duke is going to have to counter. We have seen this playbook from them before. It is not a notably different UVA attack than it normally is, um, but. But I'm curious to see if Duke is able to to run them around a little bit and maybe get them to play at the Blue Devils' pace rather than at the Cavs' pace. Donald, what you got on the Cavaliers? I think Sam nails it on the head. The one thing that I'm looking for um, against them is is that intensity. I, I think the the intensity leads into the tempo, and I think as Sam said, if we play, if we can get them to play more of our tempo, we're going to have a much better. Uh, go of it than they will because I don't think they'll be able to run with us for 40 minutes. They're going to be able to slow the game down and, you know, execute on their possessions. But if they have to run or if they get behind and they have to try and play catch up, I don't think they're good, as good at doing that. So if we can, you know, limit our, you know, take our chances, that's first thing. You know, we're going to get opportunities to score the basketball. Let's take advantage of them. On defense, if we can limit their perimeter shooting and, and limit, we're going to be a much better rebounding team than them. And we can use that to get out and run in transition and get points that way. They're not going to catch up with us if we, if we are able to do that effectively. And so that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Uh, so to play off something you mentioned, um, this this Virginia team is a very good outside shooting team. Their top three scorers, Kyle Guy, Devin Hall, and Ty Jerome, all shoot better than 42% from three-point range, which is really impressive. But the more interesting end of the floor – isn't what Virginia does on offense. It's, of course, what Virginia does on defense. And and I think the fascinating thing about this matchup is in years past, when Duke would play Virginia, you would say the Devils need to shoot well from the perimeter because what Virginia, what the pack line defense says is if you want to beat us from outside, we're going to contest the outside shot, but our primary focus is stopping you from going inside, stopping you from penetrating, stopping you from passing the ball inside and making you take difficult shots on the perimeter. That's what the pack line is designed to do. And Virginia plays it beautifully, brilliantly. So last year when Duke beat them, 
Jason Tatum went off from outside. Remember, he was bombing away three-pointers, and he was hitting them. And that's that's the formula for beating Virginia. Oh, we're, we'll bomb away over you, and we'll beat you that way. Well, this year's Duke team is not like past Duke teams in that we don't we aren't our focus isn't taking three pointers as much as it has been in the past. We try to get the ball inside to Carter and Bagley. We try to get offensive rebounds. Um, and we try to get high percentage shots in the lane. And I'm going to be really interested in seeing how Duke's strength pounding it inside fares against UVA's strength, which is keeping you out of the inside. Um, it, it's it's quite literally, you know, the immovable object meets the irresistible force. And you just you don't see that all that often in college basketball. The team that is best at doing one thing against the team that is best at stopping that thing. And it's really exciting to me. And I'll tell you something else. If the game was being played at Virginia, I would pick the Cavaliers to win. Uh, th- they are such a good team. They are so difficult to beat on their floor. But I think Cameron will make the difference here. I think that Duke's a little more comfortable shooting in Cameron, um, especially Grayson Allen, Gary Trent, and and Trevon Duvall. Duvall's been shooting a lot better from the perimeter lately. I think we're going to need um, we're going to need to 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 get some of those outside shots. But uh, you guys are right. We're going to need to get out and run. But I think Cameron makes the difference, and and the Blue Devils will squeak out a game. You know, uh, Sam, you asked him for the number. I'm going to say like 68 to 62 is the final score. Y'all want to go really quick, make some predictions on this game? It's a, it's a super important game. I'll tell you this. If we lose this game, Duke is not winning the ACC this year. We're not going to be able to catch Virginia. Sam, what do you think is going to be the final score? I, I like that, that guess you gave. I'm going to go 69-61 um, just to widen the margin a little bit for, uh, just for Cameron. Donald? 71-65. Ooh, he's got, a, he, he's got a fast one. He put a seven in front of his number. 71. Wow. Virginia just doesn't give up that many points, but maybe they will. Maybe they will to Duke. All right, guys, we're about to wrap up, but we want to hit on one more thing before we go, uh, and that is, um, uh, Sam, you wanted to talk about this, a really interesting article that came out this week about Trevon Duval, Duval, whatever, I'm, I'm pronouncing his name wrong, whatever. Uh, tell, tell us about this article and your feelings about it. Well, so the, it was another article in The Athletic about how uh, Duval has been rehabbing this, this, his left eye that apparently he's basically never used in his life. And it was really interesting. Again, go get a subscription to The Athletic and read the whole thing. But it was about how Duke has kind of come up with this whole conditioning rehab program for him. It was really in-depth, and it was really great to see how the, the Duke medical staff cares a lot about, about making sure that these players are as good as they are um, or as good as they can be. And um, I think the, the, the scary thing is that if, if Duval's vision is getting better as the season goes on, and, and we've now seen him you know, make a bunch of threes in, in recent games, whoo boy, uh, he is going to be pretty unstoppable if, if all of a sudden he has an outside shot. So uh, I recommend everybody go read that article about uh, Duval in The Athletic. Yeah, the only thing I'll say about it is there, there have been a bunch of Duke fans who are like, oh, this explains why he was shooting so poorly earlier in the year and why he's shooting well now, like, like it's suddenly been fixed or something. If you really read it and you pay attention to, to what it says and you sort of understand the science behind what they're trying to do and figure out, it's not quite that simple. It's not like they went – it's not like uh, Major League when they oh, gave no, no, no. It is, Charlie it, it is Sheen a complicated glasses. thing that they've talked about. Yeah. Right, exactly. Um, they're, they're saying they're, they're bringing him along really slowly. 
um, and and trying to introduce different different exercises that are going to make him stronger and also more reliant on that on that left eye. So yeah, you're right. It, it is it is very in depth and 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 very challenging. I think for the for the training staff. Yeah, and and again, it's not like this is this magic elixir that suddenly Duval can see perfectly and he's shooting much better as a result. I think his better shooting is a result of lots of practice, uh, more so than wearing contacts or something silly like that. All right, guys, we're about to wrap it up, but the last thing we're going to do here is give us a quick player of the week. Donald, I go to you first. Who is your player of the week this week? We're only counting the Pittsburgh game, so who is your player of the game, I should say? Uh, well, my player of the game and, and, and thus the week was Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, I thought he was the best guy on the floor uh, the other night or yesterday and uh, really loved the way that he's coming along, even when, as you guys have said many times, he's been overshadowed by uh, other teammates. But he has done his job, and he really did it yesterday, and for that, he's my player of the week. Sam? I think we're going to be three for three, Wendell Carter. Uh, we are going to be three for three. I also pick Wendell Carter. And by the way, the best stat of that game, Wendell Carter with nine of 10 from the floor. The only shot he missed was Grayson Allen missed a free throw. Wendell Carter grabbed the offensive rebound off the free throw and missed the putback and then grabbed the offensive rebound again and made it. The only shot he missed was that one offensive rebound from about two feet out. Um, pretty good day when you go nine for 10 from the floor, um, grab eight rebounds, block three shots, steal the ball a couple times, get a couple of assists. Wendell Carter was the man against uh, the Pitt Panthers. Hey, Jason, I had one more. I had one more fun note from the from the Duval article. Um, yes. that I wanted to share. Uh, so I learned in the article that Duval's father's name is Trevor, which is one letter off of Trevon. So the fathers of the four-star Duke freshman this year are Marvin Bagley, Gary Trent, Wendell Carter, and Trevor Duval, um, which I thought was pretty amazing. That's one letter difference from all yes. of their sons who are all on the Duke team. Yes. That's so we amazing. Got, <laughs> we got a lot of juniors. Got a lot yes. of juniors and, and the thirds and the such on this team. Um, and uh, almost almost one more with, uh, with the Duval family. And, and, uh, and, and, and R and N are so are almost look alike. Like there's just like one extra line between the R and the N. Oh, it's amazing. So on that interesting, interesting note, we wrap up this edition of the DBR podcast. Th folks, thanks for sticking with us once again as we celebrated the signing of Zion Williamson. And, uh, and we also are still enjoying what the Blue Devils bring this week. We'll be back in about a week from now after the Blue Devils have played Wake Forest and Virginia for Sam Klein in Colorado and Donald Wine in South Dakota, Diego. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining me. I am Jason Evans in Atlanta, Georgia, and now it is time for the Duke Band to play us out.